All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Dr. Shad Helmstetter. Uh, Dr. Helmstetter is the best-selling author of What to Say When You Talk to Yourself and 20 other life-changing books. Uh, his latest negative self-talk and how to change it is now available on Amazon and in all ebook formats. Dr. Helmstetter is one of the most respected behavioral researchers of our time and has appeared on more than 1,200 radio and television programs, including repeat appearances on Oprah Winfrey, ABC News, CBS, and CNN News. He speaks to as many as 250,000 people a year in personal speaking engagements throughout the U.S. and internationally. Uh, Dr. Helmstetter, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm curious what, uh, what sort of originally drew you into this whole world of, of personal growth and neuroscience. How did you kind of get your start in all of this? It, it was an odd thing. I was at one time in an earlier career in the field of marketing and in particular motivational marketing, which is why do people do what they do and how can you get them to do what you want them to do, which is usually somebody selling a product. And I began to notice that if you could, I, I, I started to think if you can get someone to get up off the sofa on a Saturday afternoon during their favorite ball game and go and buy something that they didn't know they needed or may not even want, if you could motivate someone to do that, it must have to do with how the brain works. And I thought, well, if you could get people to do that, then what about getting people to excel or to be the better part of themselves, uh, to live out that, that destiny that, they were, that we were all born with? And so I decided I would study that and find out if I was correct in that. I thought it must have something to do with how the brain is wired and possibly rewired, which turned out to be true. Got it. And so regarding the, the idea that the brain can be rewired, I know you, you wrote a whole book on this, um, or maybe talk about it in a lot of books, but specifically the one I'm referring to, The Power of Neuroplasticity. Um, tell me a little about what this, this idea of neuroplasticity is or what the concept is and why it's so important that you decided to write a whole book on it. Well, the basic concept is that unlike what we were taught in school years ago, when we were taught that we were born and by the time we reach a certain age, um, in our youth, the brain stops growing or changing, and, and we basically have, we're stuck with what we got, and that it couldn't be changed. And then computer imaging technology um, and other methods came along, and we began to be able to look into the brain and watch it while it was operating for the first time. And what we discovered was that the brain is always changing. It is constantly rewiring itself, and that actually happens um, all throughout our entire lifetime. And it, it happens at different depths and different rates, depending on age, but it, it continues to happen. So no matter what age a person is right now, um, their brain is rewiring itself right now. And, and my particular interest in that was that how does the rewiring work? And what we've discovered is that in very sim simplistic terms, because it's more complicated than this in, in the brain itself, but the key to rewiring your brain is ultimately repetition. People have asked me, what do you, after all those books you've written, what's your final word on, on what you have to be to be successful, what, is, what does it take to be successful? And the answer really is repetition, repetition, repetition. So I decided that, that it would be helpful to let people know how that process works because it's happening in, with all of us. We're all getting messages every day 
We're getting those messages from the outside world, people around us, from the media, from social media. We're also getting those messages from ourselves, from our own self-talk. And I began to focus on, on self-talk because it's the one thing that we have absolute and total control over. All of those other outside inputs, in, inputs and, and sources, we can, if, we can affect that to some degree, but, but we live in a regular world. And so we're going, to go, we're going to see media. We're going to watch television. We're going to listen to our friends. And when you begin to realize that the messages that we're getting from the outside world that are repeated are actually programming our brain and then add to that the fact that you're your number one programmer, then it makes sense to be aware of what programs you're getting now from the outside world, and in particular, what programs you're getting from yourself. Because self-talk, though it's a very simple sounding term, self-talk is actually made up of that entire language that we speak consciously and unconsciously, and that is actually working. It's our our self-talk ends up being our, our automatic pilot, like the computer on an, on an airplane that controls its flight. About 90% of our programs that guide us through our life are unconscious. We've, we've gotten them through repetition. They're stored. And then I would add to that, along with that, it's pretty enlightening to, to realize that. But along with that, when you recognize that the brain, the part of the brain that stores all of those messages, we got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of messages through repetition, they become programs. That, that the part of the brain that stores all that information doesn't know the difference between something that's true and something that's false or right or wrong or bad or good or positive or negative, that, that capability of the brain is simply designed to store information and then as programs and then act on the programs that are the strongest, whether they're true or not. And which, which explains why about half, half the world is voting one way in the, in the election and the other half of the world is voting the other way. They're, they're clearly getting different programs. But aside from that, um, it's, it's if a person wants to get better and you start by learning that the key to success is repetition and that you have the ability to create the repetition you need in order to get the programs that will take you where you want to go, that's pretty exciting. So with all of the, or as you were kind of saying, so 90% of this, uh, this sort of programming is, is sort of on this, this unconscious or subconscious level. How does someone go about starting to sort of take control of all of these thoughts and filters and beliefs and all, all of this stuff that's operating uh, at, at a lightning speed kind of rate? How does one start to uh, unpack that? I think the first thing is awareness, which may be why mindfulness is getting so popular, because mindfulness is really being aware of being aware. Look at it this way. We've now learned that, well, at one time we thought that positive thinking, good example, we thought that positive thinking, or at least science thought that positive thinking wasn't really real, that uh, Things went in one ear and out the other, and nothing would really come of it. What we've now learned, however, is that the person who tends to think in the positive frequently actually wires more neural networks in the, in the left prefrontal cortex of their brain. So if you reached up and, and tapped that right above your left eyebrow right now, that's a part of the brain that is that helps you find focus, uh, find solutions and take action. So that, that's very helpful. And, and, and we've learned that, that that part of the brain gets stronger. You get actual, it, it, the structure of that part of your brain will grow as a result of positive thinking. 
On the other hand, people who tend to think in the negative, consciously or unconsciously, are actually growing more neurons in the right prefrontal cortex of their brain. So that would be right behind there. And interestingly, that's the part of the brain that causes you to that causes you to run and hide or stop or fear or not not find the solution. That that understanding tells us that those people who choose to think in the positive rather than allow themselves to continue to think in the negative, which may be a, a habit a person has developed, but, but it's a habit you can change. When you become aware that your thoughts are literally rewiring your brain in a way that will either help you or hurt you. So in a sense, you're, you actually wire your brain with your own words. You wire your brain to, to succeed or you wire your brain to fail. And so if you want to change your wiring, change your programs, the first step is to become consciously aware of what your programs are now and the kinds of messages you're giving yourself. And the best way to do that, there are actually three steps that, that we've found over the years that work really well and they're simple and anyone can do them. And the first step, step is called, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called monitoring, which really means to listen. It's, it's also, monitoring is also a habit because we're actually not used to listening to what we're saying very much, uh, unless it's really important. And we're, we're certainly not used to listening or focusing on what we're thinking. So it takes about three weeks to begin to wire your brain with that new habit of listening or monitoring. But once you start to do that, you start to hear everything that you're saying to yourself out louder, uh, quietly, silently to yourself. It would be like if you could have somebody uh, follow you around for a month and record everything you said. Now, they couldn't record your thoughts, but at least they could record what you said out loud. And then at the end of that month, you had them type out everything you had said. And then you would have them yellow highlight everything that you had said repeatedly. If you read just your list of your yellow highlights, you would know at the end of that 30 days exactly what your self-talk is, what it sounds like, whether it's working for you or whether it's working against you. So the first step in monitoring is to help you become aware of doing that for yourself. So what it, uh, it reminds me, what it sounds like you're talking about is sort of cultivating the, the sort of skill of like, uh, like metacognition, being able to like kind of think about thinking. Is that an accurate way to think about it? Yes, it, it really is. Um, one good way to imagine this is that there is a second you that it thinks at a, a level of, above your normal thinking and maybe resides maybe just behind your right shoulder. And this, this you is observing you and watching you. Now, in the field of psychology, there's some reason to believe that that actually happens, that there is a higher level um, identity that's observing us. So you're, when you become mindful of your own self-talk, you're actually assuming the position of that higher level thinking person, that part of you, uh, that's part of your brain, that's actually an observer. And when you, it doesn't take too long, as I said, about three weeks to get the observer to be really active. But what's interesting about that is that once you do that, once you turn the observer on and you're able to actually listen to yourself, it tends to stay on. That is, you find yourself starting to say something that could work against you, something that entirely negative, like uh, I'm so clumsy or I'm so stupid, and, or I can never remember names. Um, people say to themselves for 37 years, I have the world's worst memory and I can never remember names. And they repeat that over and over. And then they go to a gathering and they meet someone that they're interested in and they, they wanna remember that person's name. And then seven tenths of a second later, the name is gone. 
and they're going through a bit, trying to remember what that person's name is. And your subconscious mind is just really satisfied and it's kind of stands there with its arms crossed and says, see, I did exactly what you told me to do. You've been telling me for 37 years that you can't remember names. I did it. Got it. You can't remember names. Once you become aware of that and begin practicing monitoring your own self-talk, you find that it starts to happen naturally and you, you, you begin to introduce yourself to yourself. I know that sounds strange maybe, but you, you begin to get in touch with yourself, which is something that a lot of psychologists and other people in the field of human behavior have been trying to get people to do for many years. That is to get in touch with yourself. So listening to your own self-talk is, is a first step in doing that. How are these uh, subconscious programs originally installed? Like if we go way back, you know, you use the example of, of the person that's been telling themselves, you know, they've had, you know, that they have a bad memory. They've been telling themselves that same thing for so many, so many years. But tracking that all back, you know, to when it first started, what, what sort of determines why that person had that thought, I have a bad uh, memory rather than, oh, my memory is good or I can improve my memory. Your subconscious or unconscious mind, that is your programs, have some rules. And one of those rules is the strongest program always wins. So if you go back into your history and you examine where you got those programs, you'll usually find where they started. And all it took was for a few early programs to get started in the negative for your follow on programs to do the same thing. So those programs are in agreement with each other. And so they, they, they get stronger. You're actually when you have two programs that agree with each other, let's say one is you're clumsy or stupid. You heard that years and years ago. And then um, let's say you're playing ball in, on a school team and you, um, you, um, you struck out and somebody says, you, 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 you always do the wrong thing. Those two programs actually then agree with each other. And they make, and they, that agreement forms new additional um, neural connections in your brain. So that program just got stronger. You go all the way back. It'll, this will give you a really good picture. One of my favorite places in the world is the, the newborn nursery, the infant nursery in a hospital. So I've had the opportunity to visit the, the newborn nursery a number of times. It's a wonderful, it's my favorite place in the hospital. And when you go there to visit the newly born infant, you usually stand on one side of a viewing window and then you look through the window and then there on the other side of that window in these little bassinets are these little infants. And they're, they're newly born. And if, if they have their eyes open, they're awake. You can almost see them searching for that, that incredible opportunity and potential that they were born with. Because it is a fact, and, and we know this is a fact, that we're actually born with what we can call unlimited potential. Our, our opportunity, our potential to grow as an individual is infinite in that, in that, that little newly born child, boy or girl. And then, and then even before they leave the hospital, they begin getting messages. The first are, some of the first messages they get are, are their mother talking to them. Um, but even as, as their mother is talking to them in the, in the hospital room, there's, there's probably a television set in the corner of the room that's turned on. That's, delivering messages in the background. And, and so the messaging begins. And years later, 
In fact, here's, a, here's an interesting thing to do. Any of your viewers or listeners can do this. Imagine someone you know right now, someone you know or know of, that you, that you would call the most or one of the most successful people that you could ever know. So that, that could be somebody who's living or somebody who's not, but it would be somebody who you could admire or look up to. Um, it's somebody you might like to be uh, more like, or if they're living, might be somebody that you could emulate and would like to get to know. And, and so get a picture of that person. I have one that comes to mind. Get a picture of that person in your mind right now. And then we'll ask that person to, uh, to step into the room that you're in. Let's just say that that person is there. So you're visualizing that person being there. And we'll ask that person to join you in, that, in the room that you're in right now. And then just stand off to the, to the right of you for a few minutes. While that very successful person whose life is working, spiraling upwards, while that person is standing off to the side, think of someone you know or know of who is the least successful person you know. So that, that could be anyone you know or know of. I still, when I, somebody, when I think about this, I still think of uh, a young guy who was about 17 when he left home. His parents have never seen him since. And if they did find him years later, um, they'd probably find him in an alley someplace because of the, the amount of drugs and chemicals in his system. But that's who I just automatically think of when, when I think of someone who's, who's failing. But it, so it could be anyone. Get a picture of someone that you know or know of who's failing badly. So that person's life is spiraling downward. And even if they try to make it work, it doesn't seem to be working. And then once you have a picture of that person, ask that person to come and stand in the room with you now. And, and we'll have that person just stand off to the, to the left. So here you have two people, one super successful and one whose life is not working. And you look at each of them and ask yourself the question, what is the difference between these two people, one who's succeeding and one who's failing? And if you think about it even a moment, you realize the real difference between those two people is their programs. It is the programs they received after they entered life as a little infant. Because, and this is profound, it's entirely possible that those two people that we're looking at now, one successful and one failing, it's entirely possible that those two people could have been the two little infants that we looked at in the infant nursery at the hospital just a few minutes ago. Their eyes were open and we could actually see them searching to live out that unlimited potential they were born with. And yet now here they are, worlds apart. That, that image tells us that though our, our program started somewhere, unless along the way we had people help us, and then if, unless we began to help ourselves, replace the negative programs with the positive programs, we're probably struggling, probably having a lot of problems. But if we found that that we're willing to, to take responsible for, responsibility for ourselves. And, and recognizing that, that it's up to us now to be our number one programmer instead of television or parents or friends or the world teachers or the world around us. If we decide that's our responsibility, then it suggests this. It suggests that we have a better chance of becoming more like that person who is successful, whose life is spiraling up because they're taking control of their programs. And when you, when you meet two actual people in, in real life and study them, you invariably discover that, that the person who's succeeding and doing well along the way somehow got some programs from someone else or they began to figure it out for themselves 
So they gave them the benefit of more positive, helpful, healthy self-talk. When it comes down to changing these programs, how important is it to, to sort of be able to track down what originally caused the program? Um, for example, uh, if, if someone you know, feels some negative way towards themselves, do they, is it important to try to you know, go back to what originally caused those negative feelings to, to originally sort of get implanted into the subconscious mind? Or did, does it not really matter? And it's more important to just be able to, to rewire uh, those, those programs going forward. Really good question. Um, a few years ago, the general field of psychology would have said, let's track them down. I began to question that because it became apparent to me. I'll give you an example. A psychologist friend of mine, this a number of years ago, said, Shad, um, I've got this client and uh, I have been, this client has been meeting with me for about 45 minutes to an hour, once a week for months. And, and every time we meet, we, are, we go back into the client's past and we find out the root of the, the, the problems and, and uh, so that the, the client can see where, where all of this uh, difficulty came from. And, and I can't understand why the client isn't getting better. And I said, so let me get this straight. So you're actually repeating the circumstance of the past problem again and again every week for months and expecting the client to get better. You're rewiring the problem. You're making the problem stronger. Now, I, kn I know that that stood at that time, perhaps, in the face of the then current counseling field that said, well, our whole field is about going back and finding the problem. I think it's fine to go back and find the problem, but the new field of positive psychology, and it's actually called that, the new field of positive psychology said, because we now know that the brain is getting wired and all of our thoughts today are wiring our brain and those programs that we're wiring in are going to affect our behavior, our actions in the future, why not start today with the best we can come up with and, and build a better future by wiring ourselves with new images, new projections, new possibilities, new opportunities. I agree with that completely. Uh, and it's very successful. And it's basically saying that little kid who had his or her eyes wide open and was waiting for their unlimited future and searching for it, that still lives within us. And the fact is, that's true. That, fortunately, that uh, potential we were born with doesn't actually go away. It gets covered over with programs of the wrong kind. But when you start to rewire, change, change your self-talk, um, create new pictures of you and your potential, it brings it back to life. And uh, that, that's fortunate. We were, we were designed that way in the first place. And that's one of the things that, it's one of the reasons positive self-talk works so well, is because it actually puts us back in touch with who we were born to be in the first place. Awesome. Um, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about, you know, everything that we've been talking about so far when it comes to uh, to the brain and, and, and neuroplasticity. Uh, we've been talking about the psychological aspect. Uh, I wanted to hear, you know, what's your take on, on sort of uh, the biological uh, ways, I guess, of, of changing or influencing uh, neuroplasticity um, as far as, you know, things like exercise, sleep, uh, diet. How important do you feel that all of those things are? Very important. Uh, we're a system. And when one part of our system is not being activated, let's say our physical system. So we're not exercising, and yet we're trying to get our mind right. What happens is um, 
we're designed for our physicality to promote and support our our emotional and mental health so the two go hand in hand not only that specific or certain physical regimens most of which you could almost guess thinking about it actually help us program our brain better um, when we're let's say you're exercising in this case let's just say you're walking a healthy exercising kind of walk while you're walking you're thinking better you're creating more oxygen supply to your brain but but in terms of evolutionary psychology what you're actually doing is telling your brain that there might be something important going on here because I'm in an energetic physical state. That is, a saber-toothed tiger could be chasing you and your brain should be on high alert. So when you're doing things of, of an exercising, in an exercising way, you're actually tapping into a very old system in your, in your, in your physical and, and mental nature that says, um, be aware. Uh, uh, think sharp, uh, be, be alert. And as you're doing that, as you can imagine, you're, you're putting yourself, you're, you're wiring more connections into your brain at that moment. So, so people who exercise or engage in physical activity and tie that somehow to mental exercise uh, those people are actually improving their ability to wire in new messages. Great. Uh, Dr. Humpster, I wanted to ask you, um, so you've, uh, as, I, as I said when I was introducing you, uh, you've appeared on some pretty big uh, network shows, Oprah, ABC, NBC, CBS, and uh, CNN News. Do you, do you personally uh, apply any of these sort of uh, uh, principles of kind of rewiring uh, the brain or, or positive self-talk when it comes to, to you giving these sort of big, big-time media appearances? If I understand the question, um, ask it in, an, in another way so that I can give a good answer. Sure, sure. So, you know, when you're, you know, preparing for, you know, giving presentations in front of all these people or, or going on TV, uh, are there, do you, do you apply any of these sort of cognitive uh, uh, strategies as far as telling yourself certain things before you, before you go on stage or before you go on camera to speak um, that may I, influence I, how you, yeah. yeah. Got it. I, I used to, um, while I was practicing positive self-talk, to learn it for myself so that I could, I could begin to do it naturally. Um, yes, I would give myself internal pep talks, and I, I'm still in favor of that. Uh, but after a while, I found I didn't have to give myself internal pep talks. I was already there. Um, positive thinking creates positive thinking, which creates positive thinking. So my attitude tends to be up, regardless of the situation. And I should hasten to add, it doesn't mean that I ignore problems, or don't deal with difficulties. We all have them. And, uh, and um, th this old idea of positive thinking is for people who want to ignore their problems. That's just not the case. When you, when you begin to speak in a, your self talk, um, looks for opportunities and solutions. Um, there's a great deal of personal responsibility that's tied into that. And so you take the action and, and you're responsible, you get things done. But you do it in a way that works as, for you in, instead of a way that works against you. So after, after you practice this a while, which we'll just call positive self-talk, after you practice positive self-talk for a while, you really don't have to remind yourself to think that way because you you automatically think that way. So when I got to that point in my own um, growth, 
I was then able to focus on what I really wanted to focus on when I, when the camera was about to go on, whether it was on Oprah, Oprah or CNN or whatever it was, before the red light on the camera goes on and you know you're going to be in front of millions of people, instead of thinking about how am I going to do, I was able to think only about being as clear and as sincere as possible so that when someone was watching me, they could actually look into my eyes and they could see me and they could hear what I was saying so that it was not somebody trying to sell them ideas, but somebody who was just expressing what he knew. And so that's the direction that I decided to take on those, on the, all those television and, and radio programs. We actually st stopped counting um, my television uh, appearances and radio appearances when we reached the number 1200 because, and we, we stopped counting at that point because I thought nobody would believe that number anyway. They would think it's just something that the PR agent made up. But uh, I was, I found that every single interview I did, I, I really enjoyed doing because I was able to get in touch with the person who was watching. So it had nothing to do, this, this instance aside, it had nothing to do with the host. It didn't have anything to do with who was, what Oprah was asking me the questions or, or someone on CNN Newsnight. It, didn't, it wasn't about that person or pleasing that person. It was about talking to the person who's watching us. Interesting. Okay. I hope that made sense. It did. It did. So it sounds like kind of, uh, uh, kind of being less sort of self-conscious in a way and more kind of laser focused on, on delivering your message, what you wanted to convey to the audience. Yes. And that in itself is a program. So that, that act, that's a program that you can actually wire in and then you, you have more time to think. If right. you're going to a business meeting, if you get, if, and it appears as confidence, but what it really is, is you've, you're, you've gotten so clear on your own style of thinking and what, you, what your objective is, that you're able to focus on that and then the peripheral circumstances of the meeting itself or who's there, or who likes you or who doesn't, that tends to lessen and you're able to stay on target, stay on course. And that's something you'll find true of a lot of uh, super successful people, uh, people who are, who are dynamically moving forward in their life. One of the things we say about them is they're really focused. Well, that focus is one that comes when, when, when you wire that focus into your practice. Awesome. How about, uh, have there been any big surprises uh, any, anything when you've been doing the research for your different books, anything about the brain or, or the way that our minds work that has really surprised you or shocked you? Yes. I've been... is not at some level, to some degree, in maybe first or second grade, or you third grade. Um, that, that part, I, you were just freezing and I didn't hear the audio. Um, I, I didn't hear anything after the, the, the question that I asked. So I'll just cut that part out. All right, can you hear me now? Yes, yes, perfectly clear. Okay. Um, the, the thing I've been most surprised about doesn't have to do with the brain itself, but it has to do with what we've discovered. And, and what has most surprised me is that the subject that we're talking about today isn't being taught at, at some level uh, to first or second or third grade students in school. Imagine the difference we could make in kids' lives when they learn from early on that they actually have a great deal of 
control over what happens to them in their life. And it's not everything else. It's not everybody else. It's, it's, it's what they think and how they think. And, and over the years that we've been teaching self-talk concepts to parents and organizations and schools and so on, we found that kids very, very young pick this up very quickly. And uh, it's wonderful to see a household where the little kids have learned positive self-talk. Uh, as one, one of our self-talk trainers, uh, we train people to teach self-talk, and one of our trainers told me that, that she was having a, a particularly bad morning and things weren't going well, and she was late, and she, and she was saying things about that out loud, like, oh, it's going to be another one of those days. And her little, little toddler said, Mommy, if you say that, it will be. Mm. We're, we're able to teach these concepts to small kids. I would love to see it taught more in school, but, uh, but at least it's becoming, the whole concept is becoming popular, and we have moved over from positive thinking to be something that doesn't really affect us to how it actually rewires the brain. And, and the fact that that's becoming popular, um, that's exciting to me. I really agree with, yeah, I mean, the importance of, uh, it would be awesome if that was, that stuff was taught in schools. And what I was just thinking that also, you know, it, it surprises me. I don't know if it surprises you, but, but even in, in courses on, you know, that I've had in, in say psychology or, or neurobiology, neuroscience, even though they're, we're sort of talking about all of these concepts, it's not really, you know, I, uh, talking about learning about neuroplasticity, but it's not, it's still not learning how to actually kind of control your own mind, even at a kind of higher college level. Yes, I think that's just because the scientific community is somewhat leery of the, of the motivational community. The motivational community got popular in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and then 80s by telling people how good they were and what they could accomplish. And a lot of them, though I, I, um, I'm very happy that those people existed, the early motivators. Um, so they were very meaning, they were well-meaning, but they didn't understand a lot about the brain. They just knew from experience, perhaps, that, that if they got people excited about their own potential, that they would pull themselves up by their bootstraps and do something with their lives. And they just didn't know the mechanism. I think what's happened is we've, we've learned more by observing what happens, studying what happens in the brain. We've learned why this works. And what we're seeing out of that is a new, an emerging group of people who you could call motivational, but they're, but they're, they're mindful of the brain and they're studying the brain as they're presenting messages to people. And they're finding that audiences like the science behind the motivation. I, I, when I'm in front of an audience, and those audiences can be anywhere from 500 to 5,000 or 10,000 people, and I, I will ask from time to time, um, I, will, I might say something like, okay, the next part of this, the next thing I, I'm going to say is, has to do with neuroscience. And it's about how the brain is wired and how the brain works. And raise your hand if that would be of interest to you. So I look at the number of hands in the room. And it went from only a few hands a few years ago to the entire audience now raises their hand. When you mention, I've got some information about it comes from the field of neuroscience. Would you like to hear it? The, all of the hands go up. So, so fortunately, we're, we are self-conditioning to be ready to accept the science behind the motivation that runs our lives. So that's a good time that it's happening. Do you, do you personally consider yourself more of a, a motivational speaker or author or a behavioral researcher, or, or do you feel like you're integrating the two? I, I actually had, had it at one time written into, my, written into my speaking contracts that you could not refer to me as a motivational speaker. 
I have nothing against motivational speakers, but, but that's not what I was doing. I wanted to present a message about how our discoveries of how the brain really works can apply to your life on an individual, everyday basis. That's what I wanted to do. Along with that might come some pretty exciting opportunities for people and, and so on. But I was not at all interested in getting an audience so excited that they jump to their feet and say, yes, this is the first day of the rest of our lives and we can do anything. And, and, and then they would look at each other and agree and, and, and just, and then three days later they go home and, and they're back to where they were. I said, I want to give them something they can go home with. And then three days later, they're actually improving. They're making changes. Something's happening and, and, they, and they know it and they can understand it and they can do it. And so I've, I've kept to the, to the best of my ability, I've actually kept the subject of positive self-talk at the, at the introductory level. That is, here's how it works. You can try this for yourself. Watch what happens. And as it happens for you, then, then think more about what control you'd like to have in other areas of your life. So people might start out using self-talk because of their relationships. They want to improve them. Or they might uh, listen to positive self-talk programs for uh, losing weight. That was one of the... That was the first one, I think, losing weight. Or they may want to listen to self-talk about earning more income. So those are all good things. Um, but my goal is to help people learn a new language so that anything they're doing is done in a, in a better way in their life. I think all of this actually started... Um, because many years ago, in, a, in another previous life, in this lifetime, um, I was a, uh, a Spanish-English interpreter for the United States government in Cuba during what was called the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I had studied, studied foreign languages. And, and later on, as I began to do research into how the, the brain is, is working, I began to recognize that we learned our first language by hearing it, usually in the background of our lives. And we learned everything we learned. Not, we, not, we didn't go to a single day of school to learn our first language. We learned it from people speaking it around us, and we learned it through repetition. And I, I recognized in studying language that we learn a new language by repetition. And I thought, what if we grow up learning a language, but it's not quite the right language? What if we need a new vocabulary? Because our vocabulary defines the words we think and define how we look at the world around us. What if we could find a way to give people a new language, would still be English or the language they're speaking, but what if we could find a, people, a way to give people a new a new language, a new vocabulary. So that would be the vocabulary of success instead of the voc vocabulary of, of difficulty or the vocabulary of victimhood or the vocabulary of failure. What if we could actually teach them a new language? And so that's where I actually started from based on that previous language experience. And it turned out to be true, but it was true because that is how the brain learns to think. That's very it's very practical. It's very practical if you think about it, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Helmstetter, we're, we're coming up onto the end of the show, um, and I really enjoyed our discussion. Is there anything that, that we haven't touched on um, related to, to your career um, in, in kind of the, the behavioral research uh, or, or any of your books? Any, anything that uh, you think is important that we haven't yet covered? One of the things I'd like to leave your viewers with is I mentioned earlier that there were a few steps that anyone could follow if they wanted to change their self-talk and do some 
some rewiring. And the first step I've already mentioned, and that is to monitor your self-talk, listen to it. The second step is to edit, because any of us has the ability to stop what we were about to say or think and change it in the positive or in, in a way that will be that will work for you instead of working against you. The third step is to practice. And re since we're talking about wiring, I should maybe mention that all habits are a result of repeated um, uh, habits or uh, of wiring again and again and again. And that's where habits come from. So if you want the habit of thinking right, then, then practice just like you would practice a new habit will help. And the fourth step is listen. A lot of people listen to self-talk. Um, and I produced over the years through the Self-Talk Institute many self-talk programs that are in line with me teaching a new language. So it's the language of success instead of the language of, of failure. Um, and you can listen to self-talk. Um, actually, now you can stream it directly to your phone or listening device at selftalkplus.com. And beyond that, um, I just want to encourage everyone listening and, and or watching that um, you were that kid in the in the infant nursery and um, you you never lost the potential you were born with and um, we're learning more about how you can do something with it awesome well said well dr Homesetter, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today uh if if our listeners uh want to find out more about your work, any of your books, uh, where would you direct them to? To um, my name, shadhelmstetter.com is a good one, or selftalkplus.com. Awesome. And for those listeners who enjoyed the show today, go ahead, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, or Roscoe's Wetsuit. You can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. And you can also find links to all of this different stuff on Roscoe's wetsuit podcast.com. Uh, Dr. Helmsetter, again, I wanted to really thank you for coming on the show today. I really, uh, really was honored to have you as a guest. It's been my pleasure. Awesome.